This is Jay Baer from Convince and Convert, and welcome to the Content Pros Podcast, where you'll hear the strategies and secrets of the best content marketers in the world. The show is brought to you by Oracle Marketing Cloud, helping businesses use the latest marketing technologies to tell their stories and connect with their customers. The show is also brought to you by Vidyard, the best platform for creating, managing, and optimizing your video content marketing. And the show is brought to you by Uberflip, a content experience platform that allows marketers to create, manage, and optimize tailored content experiences for every stage of the buyer journey. The hosts of the show are Randy Frisch and Tyler Lessard. Find all links, archives, and more at contentprospodcast.com. Now, here's Randy, Tyler, and this week's special guest. Welcome to another episode of Content Pros. I'm Randy Frisch from Uberflip, and as always now, I've got Tyler Lessard joining me from Vidyard. And today, we've got a really exciting episode. I think we're going to get to really dig into what it's like for a marketer to own content in a large organization and then pull that into a smaller organization where they have to own all of marketing and figure out how content gets prioritized in this big new world where she's trying to build out brand. Tyler, you wanna tell us a little bit more about Beth? Yeah, we've got Beth Taylor here with us. And, uh, you know, Beth's got a really interesting background, having been in some industries that I feel are, are very tough as a marketer, uh, government, IT, and then there's some places I've, I've tried to market to before, and I know the challenge there. And uh, and then, as, as Randy mentioned, has really, uh, you know, I think shifted uh, your vision for what you want to be as a marketer and the opportunity out there and moving from the world of content at IBM into uh, taking on a, a broad focus in marketing at ATP. Pico. So um, without further ado, maybe I'm going to ask you what could be the toughest question of the entire podcast, Beth, and that's to explain what ATPCO actually stands for. <laughs> uh, you know, I ask myself the same question every day. Uh, <laughs> ATPCO stands for Airline Tariff Publishing Company, which if you can imagine is a company name that was founded over 50 years ago. That, that, that makes sense. That makes sense. <laughs> and uh, and Beth, so you recently—I'll just give a little bit of the background from what I know. Uh, you know, you recently joined ATPCO after a number of years at IBM and a, and a very successful career at IBM. Uh, and and looking at your LinkedIn profile, I just wanted to start off with with a quote from there uh, to, to flatter you maybe a little bit, but to, but to dig on some of the success that you've had. And you know, it says un, under your direction that your content strategy dramatically increased organic video engagement, delivered the most watched videos uh, on IBM's history, uh, the top performing lead space ever on IBM.com, and a huge boost in engagement in, in Facebook. And so it sounds like in your life at IBM, uh, there was a, an incredible focus on content, but not the old world of content, which you'd expect there, um, but some of these new worlds of social, of video, of, of driving real engagement in the market. Uh, so I'd, I'd just sort of like to start there and ask you to talk a little bit about uh, your experiences there. And, and in your three or four years at IBM, how did you come to, to really delivering the kinds of results that that you've seen out there. Yeah, so um, to, to clarify that quote, that was for the IBM Systems Business Unit. Mm -hmm. For anyone that's unfamiliar with IBM, you know, there's several, um, you know, no, no fewer than eight business units at any one time. Each business unit is like its own company. And IBM Systems is essentially probably the oldest part of IBM. And it's, it's what you think of as the IT infrastructure business. So um, it, it generates a lot of the revenue 
to keep the company operational into their their vision. So you know their vision with Watson, all that uh, more contemporary uh, stuff, mm-hmm. technology. Uh, but it's it, it's not going away, right? It's it's this uh, foundation layer that, as a content marketer and as a marketer in general, um, was often thought of as kind of the forgotten child, right? The right the um, the piece of the business that, yeah, you know, go to, go to the IT infrastructure business if you j- want to do things the way they've always been done. And I, I really took it upon myself coming in there um, where, you know, I came in there after having launched our cloud um, market shaping strategy at Booz Allen Hamilton. So I'm coming in there from a cloud high tech lens and I'm like, I'm not going to settle for a... Uh, for IT is kind of this dying breed, right? So right. me looking looking myself in the mirror every day, waking up kind of hungry to change that perception through content. Yeah, I, I love that idea of coming in and, and looking to change that because you're, you know, I think you're dealing with a market that has some perceptions both on the the market itself, but also of who that audience is and what they care about. And uh, I think what was most exciting when I was learning a bit more about you was the the Remix IT project that you did there, which seemed like the exact opposite of what you would expect in how you market to an IT audience. Uh, did you want to just talk a little bit about that and how that came to be? Yeah, absolutely. Um, that was actually my, you know how people say over the course of your career, you should move at when you're on the upswing, right? So the the day I took the offer to come to ATP Co. to start their marketing communications division was the day I got the news that that was the most watched and engaged with campaign of all time for that business unit. So it was a really, really nice um, kind of accolade to make that decision off of. Mm-hmm. But the Remix IT, so interesting story where it started. I was on Twitter one day, probably after dinner or whenever, my personal time, and I saw a video of my friend's brother, who's a fairly successful DJ, who had um, taken his razor and got a, gotten a perfect G note and turned that G note into a hip-hop track, and it went viral. Um, So I watched over, you know, I saw it the first day, and I was like, this is genius. This is so smart. And I watched over the course of that week, it go from, you know, 10 views to over a million. And so I said to myself, I was like, the fact that I knew from the first instant I watched that, that this was going to be something that caught on, why are we not thinking about this in the way that we're engaging with our own product, right? He's, He's looking at a shaver, I'm looking at a server, not a server farm, but, you know, a, a data center. And what's one of the most obvious traits of that product, right? You can engage with them. If you put every single product that IBM has on a table, you know, they have consultants, they have people, they have software and APIs and all that great stuff. But very few of them can you actually touch. Hmm. And so I was like, that's the key. That is where we need to to focus, right? So, um, you know, went from there and kind of looking at the types of DJs we wanted to pull in. I actually pulled in that original DJ, um, Andrew Hypes, uh, who kind of was the brainchild behind this or was the inspiration for me. And we, we took those two DJs, sent them to our data centers around the world, uh, getting um, perfect notes from all of our machines. And we... Th- looked at it in a few different ways. We looked at, okay, there's obviously the obvious um, 
thing where you take those sounds and turn it into a music video or some sort of track. Okay, that's great. But how can we take this a step further? And we wanted to give the um, the samples to our customers so that they could create their own tracks themselves and also do it for folks that are kind of a layman in that world. So we use the IBM Watson technology to allow them to create tracks themselves and share it on social media. And then finally, as a true content marketer, always thinking about the next call to action, um, how are we going to get that person from a, a moment of entertainment or surprise, like, oh, I've never seen a data center operator look cool, to actually considering the product. And that's where the real magic in this campaign happened. And that was taking that DJ and the samples he'd created, having him sit down with our customers. Um, and for example, Plenty of Fish was one of them. So our DJ sat down with the director of IT at Plenty of Fish, listened to his theory of IT architecture, and created a track from that discussion. So the sound of the perfect match. Um, it was It's something that's very uh, indirect, right? Yeah. You're taking music theory and then spinning it into a customer story and ultimately a product. Randy, did, uh, did you see the video and are you inspired to make a, um, a drum and bass track to amplify what a content marketer really is? You ready to do that? I'm so glad you asked because I've got something keyed up here to play and uh, I'm I'm the last thing from musical, but I, I did see it and I thought it, I thought it was really, really cool Beth. like i'm just wondering like aside from how cool it is and all that how did you figure out that that would be something that would work for your audience like did you do testing on that and i think that's a tricky part sometimes as a marketer right like you know we sit in a room we brainstorm these amazing ideas sometimes we fall in love with them ourselves i'm just Mm -hmm. curious in this case you know obviously it worked because it got watched more than anything else but how did you know that this type of, of music and this type of way of connecting with your audience would resonate. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you asked that because for anyone that's worked in a really large matrix organization, I was asked that question by every single executive that came into contact with me, right? Well, how is this not just a waste of money, right? How is this just not your personal idea, you know, come to fruition because you have the budget to do so? Um, Simple, simply said, our content strategy team, um, you know, it was myself and two uh, ladies out of Austin, Texas, who are phenomenal, um, Janetta Clement and Melissa Lambert. Anything that left our team uh, had some degree of testing or data-driven inference at- attached to it. So, you know, we had this idea. We knew that it was probably viable because of its... Um, uh, emotional connection and that pathos uh, means to persuasion, right? Connecting through something that's a little intangible and more about a, a personal identity. And we took it to um, a, an internal group. Our market intelligence team had access to a, basically our exact target audience. And we asked them, you know, what do you think of this? Is Does this resonate with you? And the funny thing is, more often than not, there's a lot of undercover musicians in the white collar world. And I've seen it at the company I'm at right now. I've seen it at IBM. I've seen it on the floor of these events. Um, I had a lot of people coming up to me and being like, you know, I actually have a record label in my side, (laughs) in my side time. And so it was, it was 
that we were taking their day job and connecting it to something that they found cool or interesting or they were passionate about as a person outside of the day job. And if it wasn't that, it was in some cases, like I said, these guys had you know, been attached to, uh, I'm just the IT guy keeping the lights on. So we were suddenly making their job seem pretty cool. You know, it's uh, it's interesting. So, uh, and you both touched on some important things that that I've seen both in in my experience as well with, you know, making sure it's going to be something that resonates, but making it, you know, what I liked about Remix IT and how you did it was it, it ended up making it more personal for those audiences. And, and like you said, kind of bringing them into an actual customer, showing them physically in the space. Uh, and I found that that's such a, a magical connection when you can kind of make it personal, make it interesting, um, and make it really, you know, almost exciting for people. Um, just I'll, I'll share one story that I have related to that in the very same similar market. Uh, we have a client, uh, Lenovo, who uh, very similar, actually, they did a... Uh, a, a, a did, uh, did did so they did uh, a parody rap video uh, for their IT audience uh, very recently as part of a campaign they have called uh, Users Happen, and what I loved about this campaign and, and what tipped me to it, uh, Randy, was your question, was they were under the same um, you know thread of they wanted to create this really fun rap video, but did it really work for their audience? And when they talked to their audience, they found that IT people love to share stories of others in the of of users in their business who do silly things, right? Who drop a laptop or, or break things. And of course they were, were promoting rugged products. And, uh, and so they produced this rap video showing these IT people as heroes amongst their employee base um, who are, you know, all these folks who are dropping equipment and things like that. Um, and they actually made it as a personalized video where they would bring the person's name right into the content. Um, and they saw an incredible engagement on that. And I think, again, it was the same idea of knowing you know, what are the audience really, what's that storyline that's going to pull them in, making it fun and personal and making it something they really want to share, um, which is obviously a big part to, to today's marketing. So um, so it sounds like, you know, if you're targeting IT folks, uh, hip hop and um, uh, dance music, whatever you need to do, uh, that's that's the answer. So let's, uh, let's, let's switch over to your new life. And, you know, you've recently come on over to uh, ATP Co. And, uh, and, and again, as we mentioned earlier, expanding out your focus. So uh, you're starting fresh there. What got you really excited about that opportunity? And, and what have you done in your first uh, few months there to, to really accelerate the business? Yeah. Um, so it got me excited. I mean, I think, you know, first off, this is a company that has never had a formal marketing communications uh, department, right? Um, they haven't had to. They're, they pretty much own the market when it comes to um, the fair distribution process. So if you've recently bought an airline ticket, it's very likely that it's come through our walls. Um, so you can imagine, I mean, when you own a market, you don't really have to do marketing or you didn't have to before uh, the market had was as digital as it is today and consumer you know patterns have certainly changed um so really it was kind of that that blank slate right so coming in um recognizing that this is a um basically the market leader uh in their craft uh they're actually you know I'm I'm a data nerd and definitely a tech junkie so um the fact that they were a big data marketplace did not hurt right yeah <laughs> Um, you know, the, I think it's something like 160 million fares on our database at any given time. I mean, it's if I was an app developer, I would want to work here. Um, but that being said, from a marketing angle, I was like, they're not selling themselves. 
right? Clearly, this is a diamond that has been just kind of hidden, right? It's hidden in, in the industry. It's like the best kept secret in a way. And so as a marketer, I mean, how motivating is that? Like, if you like a challenge, you have this great foundation that hasn't been tapped, right? So um, that's re- that's really what turned me on to it uh, was that challenge of coming in and showing the world what they're actually doing. Because if this company had been started three years ago, it would have been marketed a totally different way right. in terms of its tied to technology. Um, so I've been in, what, about five months now, and it's been crazy. I mean, I, I work I, I work long hours, and it's I love it. You know, it's one of those things I wake up every morning. I'm really, really excited to come to work, which um, is how I like my career to go. Um, and, you know, I came in, I took a look at the team and uh, – the guys that were that were here, the guys we needed to hire, there was no real digital function or digital strategy. Content was missing. Corporate communications was missing. Um, and so it was really, I've been through a, a process of analysis, evaluation, setting the strategy. So setting really a multi-year um, approach to what we need to get, get done. And certainly this year is the foundation. So looking at, um, you know, as from a foundation foundational perspective, I think most content marketers start in the same place, and that's uh, research, data, understanding the customer, um, and that's really what I've been focused on the last couple months in particular. So, Beth, I'm curious as you describe that, right? And it's it sounds like such an exciting opportunity coming from IBM, where there's so much manpower and so many different ways you can attack a segment. Versus now you got to figure out every segment, every stage. And as you described foundation, and you know, we obviously you're going to get beyond that in, in the months that come. I think you're only about five months in, you said. But as marketers, one of the things that you know, definitely Tyler and I hear people debating about these days is where should we focus in the funnel or where should we focus in the buyer journey? Right. And, you know, I'm wondering where your first first focus is going to be. You know, as you as you reinvent this brand, is your need to focus more top of the funnel or is your need to focus maybe more customer marketing? Because, as you said, you're you're kind of owning the market today. So where do you where do you take that first look in that type of a company, you know, at this stage of of what you want to do, but what the company needs? Yeah. You know, that's the question I get asked the most, uh, not only externally, but within the company itself, because uh, there is so much to do. And I, just to give the your audience a little background, I mean, if you think of the airline industry, it is a small industry comparatively, and it's very relationship-based. So they're going through a, a similar um, kind of a experiences I think a lot of industries are where they've operated the same way for a long time. Uh, we've had the same accounts for a long time. There's only so many airlines in the world, but there's all these new disruptors coming in, coming in from tech, coming in from startups and from, uh, you know, actually probably even consultancies trying to convince uh, the world of, of new ways of doing things. And so it, it is a two pronged thing, right? So I needed to get a sense of how satisfied and satisfied our current customer base was, both at the user level of, you know, the guys that are in the data every day and at the decision maker level. So, you know, the guys that are responsible for cutting the check to send their data in or get their get data out, how bought in are they, 
right? How easily swayed are they to some disruptive new way of doing things? Um, so it, it really is, you got to do both. Um, and I don't think I'm going to be able to separate the two because um, it's kind of like what happened, uh, you know, in, in um, tech. And I'll use IBM as an example with the mainframe. You know, you have that you had the mainframe going one trend line and they suddenly realized there was a whole different buyer segment that needed a different kind of promise and a different kind of positioning at the exact same time. And that's where Linux one rock hopper came in. So uh, it's, it's the exact same thing here. You have the, dare I say, traditional way of doing things or distributing that data. And then you have new ways and new models that are being pitched very strongly because there's a lot of profit in it. Um, so I'm, I'm not ignoring either. Hey, Zoe. Hey, Kelly. Do you know what I love? Benedict Cumberbatch? Yeah, him, but also Netflix and how it always shows me what I'll love, aka all the murder mysteries. Ooh, or documentaries about puppies. I wish there was a way to do that with B2B content. Well, hold on to your pants. So you know Uberflip? It lets you create a better content journey for your readers. So I can let my readers binge my content while my sales team also sends it out to prospects? You sure can. Amazing. How do I get it? Just head over to uberflip.com and request a demo. So, so I'm curious. I mean, I, I went on to the website um, of ATP Cow, <laughs> and you know, and obviously, I think you, you've told us you still have plans to make your mark there and, and play with the brand. But you know, as you said today, it feels very product marketing focused first, right? Um, that's that's at least the impression I had. How are you mm-hmm. selling content internally? How are you taking, as you put it, you know, people who've been there and, and had this mindset for, you know, I mean, one of the the call the the hero headline talks about having been doing this for 50 years. So how are you injecting what is, you know, relatively, you know, only been there, been around like maybe, you know, 10% of the life of the company, you know, this whole content focus that companies have, how are you selling that in, inside? Yeah. I mean, I think the, the way I like to sell things is by doing it and showing them the results. Right. So I, I came in first day asking for all the data that we had access to and in the five months, we've actually put a veneer on the website. If you look at it today, um, we got a really talented uh, digital strategist in the door who's able to update the main page of the website in two weeks because it was that dire in terms of transitioning this really almost a product catalog for a website into more of an engaging experience. And it was funny because, you know, why wouldn't they have done that? two years ago, three years ago, 10 years ago. Um, For whatever reason, there just wasn't the executive in place that saw that as the priority over over the other activities of the business. And by my coming in and making that change very quickly, not asking permission, uh, making the change and seeing how it floats, you know, people were able to react to it. They're like, oh, this looks a lot better, right? Um, oh, we have social accounts now. Look at what we're saying. Look at the people coming in to potentially be hired into the company that saw, you know, a blog from our from our VP of product strategy. Uh, those were things that weren't happening. And so by putting it out there, getting the results coming in and then demonstrating that back to the senior management team, uh, it's pretty strong stuff. So, Beth, you mentioned something that I think is really important for the content marketing audience and something I I think we need to instill more into that practice, which is taking the customer-centric view 
and the buyer centric view. And, you know, it sounds like you know, I love that you're spending a lot of your, your first few months really trying to understand the customers. I assume you're talking to a lot of customers, trying to understand what value, you know, your organization brings to them beyond just what they think it is. And, um, and I noted in, in one of your articles talking about your, your first uh, few months there that, you know, number one was uh, focus on, on buyer-centric messaging. And this is something that I think traditionally we've always thought of, you know, product marketing kind of owns that, that messaging framework and, and really the voice of the customer and customer value. But to me, so much of that needs to be a part of content marketing. And, you know, I try to encourage my own team to get out there and, and talk to customers and, and, you know, in parallel to getting the feedback from others, you know, really understand who these people are, what drives them and what value they're looking for and, and what problems they have. Um, so I'm, I'm just curious on, on your reaction to that. And specifically, do you have uh, a methodology or can you recommend just like one or two ideas for content marketers out there of how they can do that? How can they get out there and better understand the customers to take an outside in approach? Yep, absolutely. So to the, um, to the first part of that, I mean... I, I personally, I know that there's a lot of product, especially not product marketing even, but the product executives or product strategy executives who deeply feel that each message has to be tied to what they're trying to sell. And and they have good reason, right? They're incentivized. If their product sells more, they are doing better, you know, in their career. Um, it's I think it's really up to the marketing uh, leader's job and the team's job to demonstrate the power that can come from combining those messages and making them uh, role-based messages. So, you know, is it a specific the message to a VP of pricing and airline is way different than the head of digital. And, and that's just a fact. I mean, you can't give them the same product message. And so, again, one of the examples, you know, I said lead by example here. So in the last two months, um, I conducted over, what, 80 interviews uh, with our external customers at all levels, at in all regions, um, at all parts of our supply chain. Wow. That came into a, yeah, it came into a hundred page document with ex- specific quotes that were anonymized based on who the customer type was and what level. And it's really hard to argue with that. I mean, it, I, I said early on, I was like, I am successful if when we get back in the room here, I'm talking to the senior executives, we get back in the room here, we're not going to sit for two hours arguing subjectively over what direction we need to go. It's all going to be in this document. Yep. Um, and actually, the, the guys that helped me with this had also helped uh, Oracle's, uh, what is it, Oracle's, Oracle Cloud's new branding. And they said to me, they were like, you know, you did double the interviews that Oracle did. Right. <laughs> and I had to laugh because that's just, you know, I think as a content marketer, especially the successful ones, it pays off to invest heavy early on because you can use that for content one day. You can use that for digital theory or, you know, decision, MarTech stack decisions. I mean, you can go a lot of directions if you have the data up front. Um, and then to your second question, it was how can, you know, you know, a content marketer get out there and start to employ some of this. Obviously, if you have a budget, there's uh, there's one way, which is a more structured, maybe agency-led, third-party-led kind of thing. But I think it's a lot easier than that, quite frankly. I mean, go talk to sales. Go talk to the guys that are with the customer. Ask to attend 
a customer visit. If you're not able to, you know, for whatever reason, they're not wanting to bring the content team along. I mean, all these guys are out on LinkedIn. They're out in social. They're out in the blogs. I mean, you can create relationships very easily these days. You just have to, you know, take the incentive to reach out. That's that's awesome. So we want to make sure that marketers always understand who our content pros are on this podcast. So, you know, if we've got a few minutes left here and, and I'd love to just dig a little bit on you, Beth, and I'll try not to embarrass you or anything like that, but sometimes it happens. So, you know, we'll see, we'll see, we'll see where this goes. Uh, so first of all, I'm super curious. I mean, one of the things that we talk about all the time as marketers is the journey, right? You know, owning the journey, the buyer journey. Uh, you know, in fact, like at Uberflip, we actually do a conference where the, the theme is owning the journey. We do that in, in the summer in Toronto. It's a great, great event, you know, where we get marketers out. And one of the cool things that we're able to highlight is people's own personal journeys. Now, what I find interesting about yours is you went to school for marketing, but then you somehow ended up in investment baking. So in, in maybe one or two sentences, how did that happen? Um, I can remember I got a job offer at Budweiser the same week I got a job offer at Deutsche Bank. <laughs> and all of my friends said to go to Budweiser. And, you know, I just kept looking at my bank account and decided to go the... <laughs> Go the Deutsche Bank route. So I, I, I kind of sold out. And, you know, the moment I got in the door there, and it was in London, so that was a cool experience. The moment I got in the door there, I regretted it. And within two years, I was back in New York City applying for marketing jobs. And um, at that point, I think once you've been cast as a, a financier or whatever, uh, it's really hard to get back into the real meat of marketing. So I, I went back to grad school and then restarted my career from there. Yeah, that's that would have been tough. I mean, although just think you could have had the DJs come in and play with beer bottles at Budweiser or cash at the bank to make those noises. I mean, I, I would actually tune into both options there. I will pass that along. Nice. I will pass that. Listen, this idea is going to be rinsed and repeated by everyone yep. who's listened to this podcast. So, oh, yeah. You know. <laughs> um, you know, just getting to know you behind the scenes, uh, you know, what type of content do you li- do you tune into for fun? Like, what are you watching on Netflix? Um, or if you're not Netflix, HBO, what have you? Yeah, you know, I, uh, I'm, I'm not going to lie, I've been sucked into all the, the, the maelstrom that is our political landscape. I, I watch Homeland, I think... Uh, What's the um, Ray Donovan? You know, I like those those shows that are like gripping stories where you just kind of it, the stories progress over hours and hours. And you know, I wish I had the time to binge watch it, but every now and then I'll I'll, I'll get a couple in at a time. But they're gripping and they feel real. They're tied ever so slightly to real events, um, which gives you some sense of you know this could happen, so to say. Um, awesome. Yeah. All right. My, my last question for you is more just curiosity. I was on your LinkedIn and people can check you out, Beth Taylor at, at ATP Co. And you have this beautiful sunset up at the top. So the question is, where is the best place you've been to? Is that a, a pic of it? You know, that kind of background image or where, where are you dying to go to that that's, that's setting expectations for? <laughs> So that is a reminder for myself of where I want to go back to. So without a doubt, I am a North County, San Diego head. I would love to return there. Um, 
when I was at IBM, I had the luxury of living where I wanted to um, because of our our situation. And North County, I mean, you cannot beat that. It's it's like living in the suburbs, but living at the beach. So you have all this, uh, you know, all this access. And also there's the San Diego Surf uh, Soccer Organization is fantastic. I'm a big soccer player. So um, it, it's to remind me to get back there. <laughs> I like that. I like that. That's 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 more to look forward in your journey. And you know, this has been awesome today, I, Beth. I, I thank you so much. Uh, you've obviously got your hands full with uh, you know managing marketing at, at a company that's got so much history and so much ahead. And it's it's great for us to to learn from you with everything you've done at IBM. And on behalf of Tyler at Vidyard, I'm Randy at Uberflip. For everyone listening in today, this has been a great opportunity for all of us to to hear from a content pro. Uh, if you've enjoyed this podcast, I urge people to keep in mind that Content Pros is one of many Convince and Convert podcasts that you can check out. There's also Social Pros. There's also Jay Today with Jay Bear and Marketing Marvels. Uh, if you like this one specifically, which hopefully you do, you can go to contentprospodcast.com, find all other episodes that we've got from quite a few seasons now, and uh, also find us on iTunes or Stitcher or uh, Google Play. And when you find us and there's an the opportunity to give feedback, let us know. Let Tyler and I know. Tyler, what's your what's your uh, Twitter, by the way, so people can like call out to you or, or what have you? It is at Tyler Lessard, T-Y-L-E-R-L-E-S-S-A-R-D. Perfect. And I'm also very creative at Randy Frisch. So, there we go. Uh, so we look forward to hearing from you. Until next time, thanks for joining Content Press. This is Jay Bear, and thanks for listening to Content Pros. Please leave a review and subscribe on iTunes or on your favorite podcast listening app. Go to contentprospodcast.com for a complete show archive and greatest hits. Content Pros is sponsored by Convince and Convert, Oracle Marketing Cloud, and by Uberflip. It's produced by my team and I at Convince and Convert Media. Interested in being a guest or a sponsor on the show? Visit us at convinceandconvert.com. 